and there will be a general election this year and the different parties will be promising that they can put things right. But of course, though they can do some things, they can't put the world to rights. Not really. And maybe they can cut hospital waiting lists, but still we have to have hospitals and hospices and people will be in pain and people will die. And this fact is the basis, this fact of suffering, is the basis for one of the most frequent arguments against God. Uh, We had one of these a few weeks ago where we talked about the evidence for God. We're talking about something different tonight, but this fact of evil, if you like, is one of the most frequent arguments against God. If there is a good God in heaven, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? That's the question, isn't it? And that's far from being an intellectual question. I realise that. Um, There are illnesses, uh, life-changing illnesses, tragedies, which we're never the same again from. And uh, evil is a problem for us all. It's it's a terrible, terrible thing. So you may be a Christian here, and uh, under the constant bombardment of the secularism in which we live... Uh, which tells you God is just a figment of your imagination, you may need reminding (laughs) um, of why you believe, and perhaps you've struggled with this business of of, of suffering, Um, but you you believe despite the problem of evil. But you might just need encouraging in that. And you may be someone here who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, and though the Christian faith intrigues you, perhaps... And perhaps you've got a Christian friend, and what's going on with him or her? Um, nevertheless, the problem of evil is a huge obstacle to you taking your interest in Christianity any further. And we understand that. So we're going to try to open up this matter of the problem of evil just briefly. And um, we're going to do that uh, simply by asking two straightforward questions. The first is, what does the secular world say about evil and the second is what does Christianity say about evil so that's 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 our little agenda for tonight so what does the secular world say about evil now we can think really in terms of two kinds of evil we ought to kind of get that straight before we start evil number one is nasty actions (laughs) acting um in a morally wrong way. That, that, that's, that's an evil thing. But evil number two is suffering. That, that's, that's an evil, nasty thing. But they're a little bit different, aren't they? So we'll call them evil number one and evil number two. Things like, evil number two, things like diseases and disasters and, of course, death. And in a secular society with no God, um, the idea of moral evil usually kind of just gets explained in terms of being nasty to other people. Now, that's certainly part of evil, but there's more to it than that. But that's, that's normally how we think. So let's just think for a little while about this. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that what the world says about evil doesn't actually hang together. We understand where people are coming from and the kind of questions they ask, But when you look at it, it doesn't actually hang together. 
First, first of all, of course, the secular world uses suffering, evil too, to condemn God. And therefore to dismiss the existence of God. Um, You may remember, uh, for example, a few years ago, the actor and celebrity and writer Stephen Fry, in many ways a brilliant man, had a tirade against God in a TV interview. I quote him, I think I've got him right. He said, this bone cancer in children, what's all that about? How dare you create a world of such misery? God is a maniac, he said. Now, I have to say that I would agree with Stephen Fry if God had made the world as it is now. I'd agree with him. But that is precisely not, precisely not what the Bible teaches. Dear Stephen Fry is attacking a straw man. Evil exists, but the Bible could not be clearer that it does not come from God. Fry did not make a case against the God of the Bible. He only made a case, a line of reasoning, against the God of his own assumptions, of his own imagining. You see, think about it. If the God of the Bible was basically someone who perpetrated suffering, then why would Jesus go about healing people? calling God his father. He'd be out of step with God, wouldn't he? But vast majority of Jesus' ministry included healing and helping people caught in all kinds of diseases and trouble. So, so that doesn't hang together this, how dare God make a world like... God made a good world, but don't eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil or else it'll go wrong. We read that, didn't we? And similarly, let's talk about evil number one, we talk about evil number two there. Similarly, sometimes people try to use the fact of moral evil, evil number one, again, and blame God for it, almost to cover their sins. So people might do all kinds of stuff, and they say, I only do this because I can't help doing this. God made me this way. That's what they would say. I'm a paedophile, but that's how God made me. You know, and therefore, it's really his fault. You see where we're coming from, all right? So, again, it might seem logical to them, but it fails to engage with what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible teaches we're all responsible beings. We're not robots, God is in control, and yet we are responsible for what we do. And we know this. We hold other people accountable, don't we, for their actions. You stole my, you stole my phone. You did it. You're responsible. We do that ourselves. And God holds us responsible for the wrong things that we do. So there's, there's the first thing that we need to get clear this argument that so easily comes that, you know, because of evil, there can't be a God or God is in the wrong, it doesn't really match with what God's book, the Bible, says, the, the, the source of Christianity. But second, thinking about what the secular world 
says about evil, um, their indignation about suffering, and don't get me wrong, I understand the indignation about suffering, but their indignation about suffering doesn't match up with their insistence that we don't need God because the theory of evolution explains everything. You see, if the true explanation of our world is evolution, is conflict between the species and the survival of the fittest dog-eat-dog, well, of course there's going to be pain and suffering. Of course there is, isn't there? What, what What else did you expect? So why complain about it? Why get all worked up about it, if that's your explanation of the world? Christianity would say we get angry and extremely upset because deep down we know that death and violence are not the way the world is meant to be. That's why we get upset. But evolution says, no, 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 this is the way the world is meant to be. Do you see, it doesn't hang together. C.S. Lewis puts it something like this. He says, in order to identify what is crooked, you have to have an idea of what's straight. If you couldn't compare the crooked with straight, you'd never recognise it. Similarly, if we lived in a world where suffering and injustice were just, you know, that's the normal thing, We'd ne- never recognise them because it'd be like, you know, the, like fish, it'd be the water we swim in. What, what, what's your problem kind of thing? Because we have no con- we'd have no concept of, of injustice or, or, or such things. So our indignation with evil and suffering, which is right, as far as I'm concerned, from a Christian point of view, doesn't hang together with the secular theory of origins which says, you know, people fought and we fought our way into existence kind of thing. However, it would make sense, as I say, if the world were created good, as the Bible says, but something terrible and alien has entered to bring these wrong things. So there's two things to say, but I've got one third thing to say on the secular thing. And that is, the secular world, I feel for people, but the secular world ultimately has nothing to say to the sufferer. No hope. Bear this in mind. Suppose you throw out Christianity. Get get rid of that. And you're now at the bedside of a dying man or a dying woman. What have you got to say to them? What have you got to offer them? What hope have you got for them? What comfort from a secular point of view? Well, there'll be no more pain. Okay. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's just oblivion. Yeah, but everything I enjoyed was here. This world. All left behind. So... You know, with the best respect for other, you know, what can you say to them? But of course, the Bible has something to say. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, right at the last minute, if you like, will not perish but have 
eternal life. So just remember that. You know, when it comes to the secular, what has the secular world actually got to offer? And with respect, I, I can't see they've got anything to offer. So there's something of what does the what does secularism say about evil? Now you might want to come back to me, and we've got a question time afterwards. After after we've had a little bit of uh, refreshment, you might want to come back to me on that. But that's that's that's, that's our first bit. Okay. Second bit then. What does Christianity have to say about evil? We're now looking at the other side of things. We talked about evil one, moral wrong, and evil two, suffering. Now, be absolutely clear, Christianity does not link those two things together for individuals like karma. One day Jesus was walking with his disciples They saw a blind man, and the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born that way? And Jesus basically said, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it it is. But nevertheless, in a general way, Christianity does link evil one, moral evil, with evil two, suffering. As men and women turned away from God in the Garden of Eden, evil one, then suffering, evil two, entered. And let me just say this. Um, You see, this rejection of God, when people reject God, basically what you are launching out on See, here's God and his law, and this is the way to live, and this is what you should do. But when you turn away from that, what you're actually launching yourself on is to something that is lawless, something that has no rules. So when mankind turned away from God, it was venturing itself upon lawlessness. And that suffering stuff is also lawless. It, hits, it seems to us almost randomly. But that's what we bought into when, we, when, at the beginning, God was rejected. So the Bible does link these evils. But what I want to get to cr- across to you tonight is that Christianity teaches, and this might be a surprise to some of us, Christianity be- teaches that evil is not just an unfortunate choice, evil has a life of its own. And it is extremely powerful. That's what the Bible has to teach. Let me just open this up a little bit. This was impressed upon me some years ago when I was asked to take part in some discussions in London. And I found myself sitting next to a professor from the London School of Economics. And we got chatting, I think, over lunchtime. And he was from a Jewish background. He wasn't a practicing Jew. He was a secular guy. As I say, a a professor at the LSE, a Jewish guy. And inevitably, of course, the Holocaust uh, came into our conversation. And sadly, he had lost many of his family um, in the camps under the Nazis. 
And his comment upon these atrocious events was really striking for me. He said that although he was a secularist, it was the murder of six million of his people that made him actually very uncomfortable with his secularism. The murder of six million of his people that forced him to take seriously the possibility actually of a kind of an unseen realm. He could not reconcile himself to a totally materialistic view of life, that is, there only is what you see, because he said, I know evil is real, and I know it's not a materialistic category. There's something else going on. That's what made, you know, he he kind of opened up a bit. He was a secular man, but he said, in all honesty, I can't fit this together with what happened to my people. The terrible mistreatment of people in places like Auschwitz simply doesn't make sense in ordinary terms. Why would you do such despicable, unmentionable things to people? You see, even if you take on, again, going back, even if you take the theory of evolution, that only requires your competitors to die doesn't it? Just, just, it just requires that you get them out of the way in order that you can flourish. It does not require that you put them through the most undignified and terrible pain. It doesn't require that. So why do this? Where is this coming from? not saying that they should be exposed to the extremes of pain and degradation. Something other, something from outside, something inhuman was going on there, even though it was perpetrated by human beings. And the Bible would say, yeah, listen up, evil is from outside. Evil is an alien force which has invaded our world and with which we have tragically cooperated, making us culpable, in Bible language, making us sinners. That's our situation. The verse the Apostle Paul writes about the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming us to rescue us from this present evil age. We need rescue because that's our situation. And further from the fact that it has a life of its own, this alien entity of evil has great, great power, great power over us. Whether on the horrific scale of the Holocaust or on the much more mundane level of just an irresistible, nasty comment to really put someone down. We're up for it, aren't we? That kind of thing. It has a bit of a grip, a grip on us. The Lord of the Rings often gets mentioned here. The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien is one of the most popular novels of recent times. 
And it's, of course, a fantasy story. Uh, in this story, a great ring of evil power has been forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. But it is lost in battle and has come after many ages via Bilbo Baggins into the hands of his nephew Frodo. And Frodo and his friend Sam have char- are charged by the wizard Gandalf and the wise elves to take the ring to the fires of Mount Doom under the nose of Sauron and cast it into the fires. It's the only place it can be destroyed. There you are, the Lord of the Rings in three sentences. That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> but that's the, that's the story, isn't it, basically? But as Frodo carries it, this sincere and decent hobbit begins to change, begins to come under its influence. He becomes irritable and erratic. And further on, he at times becomes quite nasty to his friend Sam. Until, at the very precipice of the fire, having come through all kinds of ups and downs, his resistance to its evil influence crumbles completely. He decides, I'm going to keep it for myself. Now, thankfully, that's not the end of the story, all right? (laughs) That's not the end of the story. But the ring has mastered him. Part of the fascination with the Lord of the Rings concerns this corrupting dynamic of evil. We all know, like Frodo, what it's like to be tempted to do things we know we should not do. And we all know what it's like actually to do those things. There is a part of us which positively responds sometimes to wickedness. We might call it being a bit naughty. But it's more than that. And so Tolkien's book becomes a bit of a mirror. Although it's a fantasy, it's kind of telling us about something that's real. Tolkien's book becomes a mirror in which we see ourselves. And that's part of its fascination. It exposes the power of evil and how we are often complicit with it. Why is there so much wrong, evil one, and suffering, evil two, in the world? Because through us, the world has been invaded by an alien entity which has taken us captive. An alien entity which encourages us in the wrong ways, which provokes God's curse and judgment. That's why, that's what the human race is caught up in. So when you read the news and the wars and the poor things that happen in families and children treated, it's, it's horrible. But that's what we're caught up in. And it's from that that we need saving. That's the kind of starting place where the Bible comes from. So when some aggressive Christian comes up to you with a smile and says, are you saved? (laughs) That's what they're talking about. They're they're talking about, are you saved from this, this evil stuff? 
So there's something of what Christianity says, what secularism says. And we're left with the question, isn't it, why doesn't God do something about evil? Why doesn't God do something? And the Bible's answer, of course, is he has and he will. Though provoked by our cooperation with evil, astonishingly, in a way prodigally, God is love. Something in him is merciful. And his answer is to send his only son, Jesus. Jesus, his cross and his resurrection. As he died on the cross, Jesus dealt with evil one. He paid for all the wrongdoing of everyone who believes in him, everyone who attaches themselves to him by faith. By his resurrection, he promises to deal with evil number two, suffering. His resurrection is the assurance that one day he will return to destroy all evil and renew the whole universe. We have a real hope as Christians to speak to dying people. There is a heaven for all who will believe, even on their deathbeds, and a new world to come. Now, this not might, might, might be the answer we, the way we would have it, but this is actually what the Bible promises. Listen to this. This is the end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with people. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The Bible's answer to evil depends solely on Jesus. What's the evidence for him? That's next time. <laughs> so we stop at that point. Thanks for listening. We're going to, well, Matthew. Thank you. Um, as uh, I said at the beginning, we're going we're gonna to break now. Um, opportunity to, to grab uh, a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, there at uh, the uh, uh, trolley at the back, help yourself. Um, I'm sure someone will be around to help you. Not sure what, what, what to do, but um, 